the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This has been the most tense podcast I have ever done. Kevin Sherrington. You were working on typewriters this time. Barry Horn. I don't even know who you are anymore. Where were you last week? Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about colleges. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the college Ballsy with a Z podcast. You know, we're going to be asking this question to Barry. Where were you last week? Yeah, no kidding. No Barry here. No Barry here. No. But we do have Tim Brando. Hi, Tim. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Evan. And I'm sorry that Barry couldn't make it, but uh, I think we'll be able to fill his time. What do you think? Oh, no question about it. I think we're in pretty good shape here. (laughs) We just raised the IQ level of the podcast, I think. Okay, listen. Where, where, where do you want to? Should we start playoffs? Should we start coaches? Where should we start? Well, let's start with. Let's start with. Uh, well, first of all, let's talk about what what uh, Tim's been working on. It's going to air Monday night on FS1, and and Tim, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it actually aired already on Big Fox after the the, the games yesterday. Um, so it was a college football playoff preview with the committee members that we have on our Fox Four. We've been on FoxSports.com every week coming up with our own four teams and tried to do our best as a mock committee. And uh, the people that are on that committee, uh, there are 13 of us, but I think nine of us were actually on the show. Not everybody could make it um, to the to the show process because guys had assignments and, and games to call on Saturday. But Spencer Tillman and I, as you know, were in Austin so on Friday, so we flew to Los Angeles, watched all the games on Saturday, uh, in their huge green room, a wonderful environment there, and watched Matt Leinard and Rod Stone and, and Robert Smith and, and Coach Wanstat do their thing all day uh, at halftime and in between games and that kind of. Uh, and then, and then after it was over, about ten o'clock that night, we live the tape. The show really looks live, but it was taped and then turned around yesterday uh, and aired uh, on Fox. And they're going to re-air it tonight on FS1. It runs for an hour. And everybody's got their uh, their very strong opinions, including yours truly. And uh, you have you, you what you'll find what what you'll find is 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 while it looks maybe simple to to pick the four teams right now because everyone I think pretty much agrees, maybe not on the order, but the four with Washington in the fourth position, Clemson three, Ohio State two, and and obviously Alabama won, it, it, it may look like it's not wrapped up in a nice little bow for the holidays, but it's very precarious uh, because we know that there's a very good likelihood that we could see some upsets and championship Saturday coming up. And when that happens, it's going to open a Pandora's box for all kinds of possibilities uh, with different teams. And someone's going to, well, not just someone, but a lot of teams are going to feel left out. And we could have multiple non-champions you know, in the first two years of the college football playoff, conference champions only have been involved. That will not be the case this time. And it may not be the case with two teams, or dare I say three teams this year. 
And that's going to really open the thing up. And, and I believe what we're going to see, Evan and, and Kevin, I think we're both, we're going to see uh, a reaction to the four teams going in if the games don't turn out well. I think we're going to see a reaction to expand this thing to six teams. All right, so at, at minimum. So okay, as as we sit here today, we both we we all expect Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Washington to be our top four in the CFP standings tomorrow. You know, and I, and I think right. not even in that order. I, I think that uh, to, for me, I thought that Washington's <laughs> big win over Washington State that was pretty impressive to me. I, I thought that the Washington State might sneak up and actually and pull off. An I did upset too. There. I did too. I'm, so, I'm right there with you, Kevin. By the way. I don't want to bury the lead. You guys asked me about the show. It re-airs, I think, at 6 o'clock Central Time tonight. So if you can't watch it, DVR it. Absolutely. All right. So so, okay. so these are our four teams going into tomorrow. Which which of those do you guys see as the most vulnerable to dropping out of those four? You know, as much as I love Clemson to be the team with the best chance of beating Alabama, and I still believe that, this is how crazy college football is, how flat the landscape is. Virginia Tech could beat them in the ACC title game. They've been clinging to and, and, and had great fortune in winning, a little bit like Florida State did, you know, two years ago. Right. Barely winning games against teams that were inferior against them and then playing at a much higher level against teams that you knew they had to get up for. So I, I think that Virginia Tech is – I wouldn't be shocked if they beat Clemson. And I'm certainly not going to be shocked – if Colorado beats Washington, yeah, me neither. That team, that team has got. Uh, I mean, their turnaround from one and eight to eight and one in league play. I mean, it's incredible. Mike, I mean, McIntyre. That, that's one of the great coaching stories of all time. Give him the coach of the year right now. I mean, yeah, give it to him. I agree with that. You know, that's, uh, and that's the funny thing about that. If you t- when when all those teams left the Big Twelve, it was like, all right, uh, Colorado left. Who cares? Uh, Missouri left. Who cares? And then, and then all of a sudden, now over the years, when you see if the, the, those teams that all left are still in the Big Twelve, it'd be, it'd be right. a, a very good league. All right. So right, if, right. If, if one of those teams loses, if one of those teams loses, yeah. if Clemson or Virginia Tech loses, or or, uh, or Washington loses, and let's not even bring Alabama into the mix because we all know that the, the whole football playoff thing is a sham for Alabama to walk to another national championship. But if Washington or Clemson loses, then the big the Big Ten championship game winner enters into the four, right? No question, and yeah. and especially Penn State if they beat Wisconsin because they beat Ohio State head up, right? Uh, so how can you let Ohio State in, presuming that that's a fait accompli? And I and I think that it is. You cannot let Penn State stay out of it right. if they win the Big Ten. If they win the Big Ten championship game, I mean, Penn State has got to vault into the, the Final Four. Okay. So that, that's a given, all right? Now, Wisconsin, we could debate a little bit about. We could. Um, but Penn State, to me, is a must because of um, because of the head-to-head victory against the Buckeyes. And that's the thing that they've got going for them. Now, if, if, if that's just if one of those teams lose. Let's go to the – if two of, of them lose. Happen, yeah. If two of them lose – now we have a splitting hair session, okay, over whether you go with Michigan, a team that's not playing for the title, that lost to Ohio State, and is currently in the fifth position in the college football playoff standings, and a team that beat Colorado head-to-head, okay? So Colorado, 
if they beat um, Washington and, and are the Pac-12 champions, they're not going to get in because they lost head-to-head to Michigan. Right. So they're not going to make it. Michigan would – we could be looking, Evan, at three Big Ten teams potentially on the table to get in the four. Now, can you imagine the gnashing of teeth in the smoke-filled rooms if that were the case? I mean, we could be talking about that. So we're splitting hairs between Michigan and the winner of the Big 12 championship if that happens. And, and so, and you, I would submit to you, I would submit to you that Oklahoma State and how in God's name could the AP not have them in the top ten? All right, thank God that's not a part of the equation any longer. I hope that the USC is ranked ahead of Oklahoma State is further proof that brand names matter, and a yes. lot of these voters are simply not watching games. All right, so, how could Oklahoma be seven and Oklahoma State not even be in the top ten in the AP poll today as we speak? That is a that is such garbage. Now, all right, so Kevin, Kevin, hang on, hang on one second, Tim, hang on one second, because because you're going right where I want to go. But Kevin, we have sat here for twelve weeks basically and said the Big Twelve is dead. Right, the Big Twelve has no shot at the playoffs. Right. Is there a scenario, is there a path in your mind for Oklahoma to end up in this playoff? No, I, don't, I just don't – unless there's just a complete collapse, I just don't see it. I, I think that people well, are going to – this is the but, – but, Kevin, this is the complete collapse. Well, it is. I mean, this, it, this, is all, that, this is all the collapse you've got. You have to – if you're Oklahoma and you're Oklahoma State – by the way, I think Oklahoma State's got the better case, and, and I'll explain that in a second. But the only thing you can hope for that could happen could fall your way is for Colorado to beat Washington right. and for uh, the other the Virginia Tech to beat Clemson. You right. know, that, that's your only path. Right. That's it. Okay. Now, I, fir- I firmly believe that Michigan had its chance, blew it against Ohio State, and I cannot imagine the committee putting three teams from the Big Ten in. I, uh, I mean, you're going to get enough pushback with two. Especially, okay. in, especially in a year when there's so much uh, parity at, at, at the top. Right. That you you, you right. can't do that. That's what they're going to say. Everybody's going to want a piece of the pie. If if we're all going to be so scrambled up with Alabama, which and by the way, I'd like to point out that this is this is the year when there shouldn't be a playoff. Right. This is the year we should just, just say just hand it to Alabama. <laughs> you're the national champs. Thank you very much. Uh, and that, that's that's well, the interesting thing. To with, I just I disagree with that. But 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 I hear what you're saying. But but to say that this is like Texas and USC in 2005. I don't think so. No, I, I, I think Alabama is more vulnerable than you think. One of the reasons Alabama looks so dominant is the SEC basically sucks this year. Yeah, it's down. The SEC is down. There are no quarterbacks. There are no quarterbacks in that league. They haven't been attacked by a quarterback in that league since in September by Chad Kelly. He's the only quarterback that had them on their heels. He was up by 24 points in the first half. There was a little, right, so, uh, a little bit in the A&M game when Trevor Knight, uh, they, they got going there in the third quarter, and, and you're right. Yeah. That's what you, have to, you have to challenge them deep. But the, the, the problem is is that you just don't – the quarterbacks don't have any time. The, 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 well, you're under well, that, such well, that, duress but, back but, there. But you have to – Deshaun Watson would beg to differ. He threw for 450 against them last year. That's and Kevin true. loves him some Deshaun Watson. Yeah, he's, he's true. This is the same – I this agree with the you. The same team, basically, Clemson has uh, that just hasn't played as well, particularly on defense this season. So I give Clemson a great chance of beating Alabama. They just have to get there. The question is, can they get there? Right. Uh, Jake Browning is a really good quarterback. Okay. So, 
so I, I, what I'm saying to you is Alabama looks invincible. I don't believe they are invincible. All right, well, uh, I, but, but, I am going to stick with Alabama is invincible and in that we're all just getting to the point of who they play. But you just sat in this room. You just did this whole mock conference uh, uh, this whole f uh, this whole championship pro uh, playoff deal, okay? <laughs> if Clemson you get away and, with words, you know, I do. If Clemson and Washington lose, Tim, you're saying that there won't be a third Big Ten team in. You're saying that Kevin's saying that a Big Twelve team doesn't make it. So who ends up as the fourth team? Oh, well, I think Oklahoma State has a great right and would be given tremendous consideration by the committee if they won Bedlam on the road in Norman in a championship environment. And what the committee has said about viewing them as a two-loss versus one-loss team will be thrown out once they become a champion, that criteria. And it's written into their, their bylaws that championships do matter. It is a quotient of, of, of the determination of, of what matters. Now, that's one of the reasons why Ohio State, upon beating Wisconsin 59 to nothing in 2014, was able to vault from number six to in, and TCU was able to fall from number three to out in the final week. I would suggest a monumental jump, and I believe in the college football standings right now, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure Oklahoma is at 10 right now. They're that far down. Oklahoma is at eight, and Oklahoma State is at 10. I believe that's the case. Uh, but, but because Oklahoma State would be winning its championship on the road in Norman, and because you have to see them through a different prism now because they're a champion, that loss to Central Michigan, which probably hasn't been a question that the committee's had to answer, will now have to be answered. Okay? You clearly know they did not deserve to lose that game. Right. The, the, we're talking about play. the Central Michigan game. There, right. there was an additional play given in that game that should not have taken place. All right? Now, the NCAA, and, 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 and clearly Oklahoma State has said, yeah, we know, you can't go back and fix it. We can't change the outcome. But the committee can. The committee has right. every right to look at them through a different prism and say, you know, this team actually didn't lose – they only lost one game, and that was to Baylor on the road when Baylor had not yet cratered. They were still, you know, thinking they could win every game. Right. Uh, and they also beat. By the way, what's the Big 12's signature victory of the season this year? Either one of you know. What's the Big 12 signature win? Biggest win by a Big 12 team out of conference this season. What would it be? Uh, I, I I'm going to guess that you're going to say Oklahoma State's win over Pitt. Yes, Pitt beat both Penn State <laughs> That's right. and Clemson this year. Two teams that we're already talking about. Right. One is in and one could be in. All right? One could win the Big Ten title. Right. So, yeah, that and not only did they win the game, they thoroughly won the game. And they have now gone on the road and thrashed TCU, probably gave Gary Patterson his worst loss at home since he became head coach, and, uh, and would have beaten – if my argument holds water, Oklahoma on the road in Bedlam for the Big 12 championship. So that's your only your only hope, in my opinion. Now, Oklahoma's case is far more difficult, I think, even though they're ranked higher. And again, it all goes back to branding. Why Oklahoma is ranked where they are versus where Oklahoma State is, it's all about branding. 
Is it branding or strength? About 2011. In 2011, when Oklahoma State was snubbed and Alabama got the rematch, if Oklahoma had been that team, Alabama would have never played LSU a second time. We wouldn't even be talking about a college football playoff. We'd likely still have the godforsaken DCS in place. But doesn't but, doesn't but, strength the schedule here come into play on Oklahoma? Well, it does with regard to their non-conference. The fact that they played Ohio State is what bolsters them in the standings and right now. That part I and get, Houston. Evan. Yeah, yeah I, I, I get that. But the issue for me is that Oklahoma can only do what it can, and that's win at home to win the Big 12 Conference Championship. The body of work late from them simply isn't as good as Oklahoma State's. Oklahoma State's uh, November is pretty stout. You know, what they've done, uh, and when we include the pit game from earlier, that's a heck of a run by that team. So the best-case scenario for me in terms of the Big 12 getting a team in the the college football playoff would be Oklahoma State winning on the road, not Oklahoma winning uh, at home. Because, we, yeah, we saw them play Ohio State, and it's nice that they played the game, but they got hammered. Yes, they got they absolutely boat raced at home by Ohio State, which would make the case of Oklahoma being measured against other Big Ten teams far more difficult to sell than Oklahoma State. All right, before we, go, before we go from the Bedlam game and before we leave – CFP Bedlam and move into coaching Bedlam, let me just run one other scenario by you guys, okay? Let's okay. say Oklahoma does win in Norman, and let's say Oklahoma that State. Washington does lose. Oklahoma State or Oklahoma? No, let's say Oklahoma wins okay. the, the Bedlam game, and let's say that Washington loses, and let's say that Clemson loses. Okay, so now what do you do? I, th- I think you go to Michigan, and all hell breaks loose because you just put three Big Ten teams in the college football playoff. Two of which are not playing in the conference championship game. That's right. Exactly. Two teams that didn't even play in the conference championship, and you've been trying to sell us on championships matter. Oh, by the way, remember the hissy fit that Jim Delaney threw about making sure the playoff had conference champions in it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> remember that one? Yeah. Well, now, now the first time we have two non-champions in, they come from his league. And the rich get richer. The Big Ten financial coffers are the heaviest in the in the country. Think about the financial division, okay, in the business of college football between the Big Ten, the SEC, and then everybody else. All right, I'll tell you right now, Big Ten's worth annually $45 million. The SEC's worth annually a little short of that, about $42, $43 million. There's a drop-off down to the ACC around $34 million, and there's uh, the Big 12 is right around 20, you know, 32 close to the ACC, but not but not there yet, about 28 to 30. And then the Pac-12 is making about 22 because of their problems with their Pac-12 networks and distribution and non-distribution on DirecTV. They're struggling financially right now. If you pad the wallets of the Big Ten fellas to that extent with three teams, hell, just with two teams, there will be major smoke-filled room meetings to make sure that this thing gets expanded to at least 16 before next year. You know, and, and I don't have a problem if they go to uh, – they expand it. And, and the the thing they have to do, though, in that first round, you have to play the first round before Christmas. You have to make it with the top seeds hosting the games. And and why expand it to six? If you're going to expand it, expand it to, to eight. eight. I would go to well, eight. Well, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying that, Evan, because in intercollegiate athletics, we always crawl before we walk. <laughs> we don't ever do – we're never progressive. We're we don't do reactive. the sensible thing? 
Yeah. No, we, we do, do the, the convoluted and thing. And when we do do it, and when we and we do do it, we we do it kicking and screaming and with gnashing of teeth, saying, "Well, okay, we need the money, so for the almighty dollar, we'll do it." That's the only reason they ever do anything. Right. So I think we would start with six, and and they'll all say, and this would be the number one excuse given. Okay. Well, we have to protect our regular season. We don't want to become the NFL. So we can't go to eight because that's too, it resembles the NFL too much. So here's what we will do. We'll let uh, the regular season determine who number one and number two is, and we'll give them a bye. And that means because they don't have to play the first game or as many games as uh, three, four, five, and six, that the regular season still matters. Okay? Right. That's why, that's, that's what they'll say. That's the public relations spin that you'll get from the offices there of Bill Hancock once that happens. But, see, I think you could do that by saying that the, the first four teams all host that first-round game. And, and, that's, and to me, that's a, a huge advantage. But then don't you, have, don't you have pushback from the Bulls on that front? Yes, you do. Yeah. You'll, they'll, they'll never go there, Kevin. And I know that's something that Dan Wetzel uh, wrote about in, in, in his anti-BCS book, which to some extent I agree with. But you always have to take into consideration the the consortium that is college football, and the bowls figure into that mightily. That's why these damn games are being played on New Year's Eve again. Now, finally, they're going to change it. You know, they've, they've right. now said the ratings suck so bad, and they're finally listening to ESPN because they, they got hammered after an unbelievable first season for the playoff. You know, remember, remember that we're going to change the paradigm of New Year's Eve in our country. Remember that line? Yeah. That's how arrogant uh, college football, its power base is about its product. Sure, oh yeah, everybody's going to suddenly stop in their 20s and 30s going out for New Year's Eve because the <laughs> the college football playoffs underway. I mean, they actually thought that. Right, I mean, they did. It's bizarre. bizarre. It is. All right, now we need to move on to the coaching talk. What coaching talk? Oh, we've had a little bit of coaching talk. Here. <laughs> He's going to want to start with LSU, but we can't go to LSU. we got to go to Texas. We'll go to Texas first, but it involves a guy who was kind of waffling both ways. Let me ask you sure. this. It, it does, it, and, and it does involve the LSU administration, too. Yes, it does. Let me ask you this first, Tim, because when, the, when reports came out last week, that uh, oh my gosh, it actually came out on on the on Thanksgiving Day. Oh my gosh, Tom Herman is close to signing with LSU. Did you think that was going to happen? Absolutely not. Me neither. Under no circumstances. Me neither. No. And why I mean, did you think I, not? I, I, well, number one, Joe Oliva is still the athletic director at LSU. Uh, the same guy that you know couldn't get the deal done with Jimbo Fisher with four weeks left last year and kept less miles you know, twisting in the wind, and then suddenly after the A&M game had an epiphany at halftime, allegedly, saying he's our coach for the foreseeable future. The, the, the truth of the matter was uh, LSU's president, F. King Alexander, who's as inept as Oliva is as an athletic director, felt like from a public relations standpoint, because of the state legislature and the, um, the bad image that would be projected because they'd be paying off Les Miles $15 million at a time when they were cutting – uh, uh, higher education um, in in the state was going to be somehow, uh, you know, just a PR nightmare. What a what a crock! Uh, the athletic department at Louisiana State University is funded outside of the state 
um, and state funds all together. In fact, it gives $10 million annually back to the academic side. Uh, I mean, he actually, they, they actually felt that the people, the populace of Louisiana was stupid enough to believe that that would be a problem. So they rescinded the offer to Jimbo, which upset his agent, Jimmy Sexton, big time. So I never felt like Jimbo Fisher was ever going to be in the mix. And uh, Jimmy Sexton's too strong an agent. Well, Trace Armstrong is who handles uh, the dealings of Tom Herman. He's every bit as, as uh, strong-willed uh, a representative as Jimbo would be. And he was going to pl- do the same thing that uh, Jimmy Sexton in, did, did last year, play LSU's administration like a violin. Right. Uh, and and that, that open leveraging that was taking place through the Twitter sphere of both Chris Lowe of ESPN and Brett McMurphy of ESPN, who, by the way, both of whom I respect, they have to do what they have to do. They had the information. They ran with it. I get it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being critical of them at all. Right. But what was happening here was yet another example of the poor leadership at LSU being used uh, in that manner. And then ultimately what happens? Um, <laughs> uh, Jimbo... Fisher's people, Jimmy Sexton, okay, on that same night, come back and say, well, you know, we we were available if they had paid us $6.5 million for 10 years. <laughs> that was clearly just a shot across the bow at LSU for what had happened at the end of last year and this season. And sure, I'm sure the amount that Jimbo wanted was exorbitant. Uh, when you already uh, don't respect the people you're negotiating with, that's what you're going to say publicly. Uh, the other factor in my mind, was that Tom Herman's end game was always to be at Texas, not to be at LSU. Absolutely. And anybody at Houston had to know that. I mean, this is, he was a GA for Mac Brown. He understands Texas. That uh, he he's, he's he made the order for that position. I mean, that that was the job he always wanted, not the LSU job. He's been circling that Texas job his whole professional career. He he was Absolutely. At, he was at he was at Texas Lutheran. He was at Texas State. He was at Sam Houston. He was at Rice. He was at Houston. He was a GA at Texas. I mean, it was clear that 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 is the job that this Ohio boy wanted was the Texas job. And it was clear to me when those yeah. reports came out that oh, he's just trying to jack these people up at Texas. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. And 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 LSU was, you know, its administration is very comfortable being used. <laughs> yeah. And they were used yet again. Um, and the truth of the matter is, and I, and I, in defense of, uh, in defense of uh, uh, Joe Oliva to some extent, I don't think their end game necessarily was to get Tom Herman. I think they really wanted Jimbo Fisher. Uh, and once they didn't get him or felt like they couldn't, after, after Orgeron beat Arkansas, when they thrashed Arkansas up in Fayetteville, right. I believe at that point they had stopped uh, the courtship of anyone thinking Orgeron was the guy, that that's who they wanted, that Ed uh, had fit the bill, had said all the right things, had galvanized the community, and that, oh, by the way, and this may work out for them, by the way. I'm very critical of LSU's administration, but it could work out for them. In hiring Orgeron, you can pay him uh, north of, of $4 million a year. You can probably pay him about three and a half, or a little, uh, you know, a little more than, a little more than, well, north of $3 million, south of five million okay right and you can take that extra million that you would have been paying the two million extra you would have been paying for herman uh you can take an extra million hold on to dave aranda who's an excellent coach that they're really high on their defensive coordinator everybody loves him when i say everybody i mean college football people and pundits know how good this guy is 
He's already making a million three. Give him another million. And then go hire Lane Kiffin or someone like Lane Kiffin and pay him two million. Have him come in and do for you what you haven't been able to do in six tries, and that's beat Alabama. Let me ask you that about uh, Lane Kevin, because I'd seen that before, too, about Lane Kevin coming there as the offensive coordinator. Why would he leave Alabama to go to LSU to do that? What is because he... uh, you're never going to get credit there. Oh, at Alabama. You'll, you'll never get credit for winning titles for Nick Saban. Yeah. Never, you'll never get credit there. Uh, he, he organized, I thought, offensively. Um, I mean, you'll get credit if you're Kirby Smart because you're, you're a defensive guy working with the defensive genius. Okay, but but offensive guys are going to be on the receiving end of ass chewings, according to Nick. Right? Remember that one? Oh yeah, that wasn't, you know, absolutely. We weren't having a problem. I was. That was just an ass chewing. That was. Yeah. You know, so, Nick takes great pride in that, and I think uh, he's already got Sarkeesian there, ready to step in. Nick knows this is probably going to happen. It's just a question of where. Well, Orgeron and Kiffin are really tight, and Matt yeah. Leiner, uh, who knows both well, talks to. Uh, both Sark and to uh, uh, Lane, you know, multiple times weekly. When I when I said to, to Matt, so what do you think about, and this was just this weekend, I said, what do you think about Lane coming to LSU? He said, oh, yeah, that's going to happen. There's really? no doubt in my mind that's going to happen. So you bring Lane in. Lane wants to be a head coach again and get a big job. At Alabama, you just you can resuscitate your career, which I think he's done a nice job of there. But he's still Lane is still too toxic at this stage to have an athletic director and president pull the trigger to bring him in for a big time job. Right. He he loses that toxic uh, aspect if he goes to LSU and beats Saban after he, they've lost six in a row. Uh, and and I think that you know to to Lane's credit, look what he did with Blake Sims. Look what he did with Jacob Coker. Yeah. Look what he's doing with a freshman right now. I mean, he's right. In my opinion, he's the best offensive guy to bring in yeah. anywhere. That's that's. Uh, and Orgeron can get him. LSU can continue its reputation of paying their assistant coaches better than anybody else in the country. So it could work out, fellas. I mean, it could uh, with O. And but, and, he, and he's I, also I a think, Louisiana boy, and that and that will help him there, doesn't it? Oh, no doubt. He talks about. If you think about it, all the sound bites with Orgeron, Kevin, were these. This. I want to say, I want to thank my coaches. The coaches, every other coaches did a great job. The players played hard, and go Tigers. Well, you know, that's exactly what the fans down here want to hear. Right. That, I mean, yes. he is, he's a populist coach speaking to his populace. If Evan, he's like the Huey Long of the moment in yeah. college football in Louisiana. Well, so, I, I, the only thing I would disagree on, on that whole explanation there, Tim, is what if Oregon does fire Helfrich? I think that's going to happen. Why would why would Lane not be attractive to Oregon at this point? I believe Jim McElwain is more attractive to Oregon than Lane Kiffin at this stage, based on the people I've talked to. And you think McElwain uh, would leave Florida for for Oregon? Yeah, he's from you know he's from that part of the world. He's a Pacific Northwest kind of guy. Uh, his I think his wife would be really comfortable going up there. Uh, the brand name is what it is. He can get it back to where it was. Now, granted, he's more of a – he's not a spread guy as much as he is a, 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 a you know a, a pro-style pro guy, style a little guy. bit like Lane in that sense. But McIlwain, you think about it, his resume now, the way it's reading with what he's done at Florida, can say, I don't care, they don't care in Oregon that how he got there in the Eastern Division. They don't care that the Eastern Division of the SEC sucked. Right. 
they just know the guy's been successful, and he was at Colorado State when he got there too. So uh, I think that they would have a they would have a little bit of a problem at Oregon right now bringing in a guy like Lane. I hear what you're saying, uh, and I would say to you that if McElwain wasn't the guy that they wanted the most, provided they fired Helfrich, and I think they are going to fire Helfrich, that Lane would probably that would be the first big job opportunity where it would make sense for him to go. And then if uh, Mac if but, if McIlwain goes to Oregon, then the Florida job is right there for Charlie Strong. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> I tell you, you know, I well, don't. Well, let me tell you something. Charlie Strong is going to get a head coaching job, Kevin, and he is beloved in the state of Florida. I mean, yes, he is beloved, and he would have he would have never had to worry about a fourth year in Gainesville. Okay, never would he have had to worry about a fourth year. In even Gainesville. even three losing and, seasons in a row. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the thing you got to look at with, and, and a lot of I know not a lot of Texas people can't get past this because, well, they see sixteen and twenty-one, and that's all they want to see. Uh, especially after Mac was shown the door with the record that he had in his closing years. But okay, he ran nine guys off when he got there. Right. And the moment that he did that, uh, especially saying I'm not going to go the junior college route to restore the nine guys I've just run off, he knew he was going to take a hit with his record. I mean, he did. Uh, the coaching staff issues, I think, ultimately are what led to his demise. You know, the inability to get stability with his offense, and then, you know, the last straw might be the, the you know, the demotion of his friend Vance Bedford uh, with his defense at the beginning of this season. But I, I don't think there's any doubt that he'll get another head coaching job. I really kind of like the idea of Houston. <laughs> Straight up and let the University of Texas help funnel the money down to Houston for a straight up trade. I like. Uh, I love that idea. I think it's great. But but I think Florida would be if the job opened down there. I think Charlie Strong, despite his record, would get a long look. I'm not saying they'd hire him, but I think he'd get a really really long look. And I think I think as the cards are stacked right now, I think Baylor would be a good fit for Charlie Strong. No, they're not going to hire Charlie. You know, Baylor's going to always a, a small school like that is always going to go for an offensive guy. And a private school, and and I, and I think that that's what the Baylor needs to stop worrying about offensive guys versus defensive guys. Baylor needs to rehabilitate its image. Well, yes, yeah. yes, thank you. Nobody could do that better. You know what than the Charlie. biggest problem at Baylor is right now. The biggest problem at Baylor is Evan, and I, we're on the same page, you and I, on this. They think what they have down there in Waco is a PR problem. It it is far more than a public relations problem. Yes, they have a systemic, they have a systemic way of life issue down there. Institutional and cultural problem down there. No doubt about it. And until they recognize uh, the president of the school I know is new, the athletic director who I know is new, and more importantly, that board, which is clearly a big problem. I mean, it's like a Friday night lights problem for, <laughs> for them at Baylor with their board of regents. They they are going to continue to the, down this downward cycle if they don't recognize that their next hire has to represent a clean sweep in terms of their mentality. Now I agree, Kevin, that you need to have an offensive guy that's going to spread it and a guy that's going to be innovative. And and this is going to sound crazy because I'm about to contradict myself. Perfect guy for the Baylor job is Les Miles. Perfect guy, right personality. Everybody loves him. Players love playing for him. 
but he's an O-line guy that is going to have to go kicking and screaming and hire the closest thing to a uh, offensive coordinator, not named Kendall Bryles, but but does it like Kendall Bryles that he can possibly get uh, and and run that offense and and make it as entertaining as you know they wanted that thing to be when McLean Stadium was built on the on uh, with the money brought in by the offense that that Art Bryles created. They've got to do that, and I think Les would be the perfect choice to have the persona to change the image in a positive way for Baylor. But I, 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 I thought Les was he, was already connected to Purdue. I, you, I think he wants to coach somewhere, Evan, where he believes you can win it all. You can't win it all no, at Purdue. Right, no. You just don't. Baylor could win it all. I mean, it's been proven under Art. Say what you want about Bryles, but what he did the last half dozen years – proves that it can be done, that you can get the players. Uh, and Les knows that area. I mean, from a recruiting standpoint, this is a path taken that he's very familiar with. Sure. Uh, and I think putting together a, a really quality staff across the board would be easy for him. The only thing that the Baylor people would have to be convinced of was that he didn't lie to LSU when he said, I'll make the suitable changes to my offense. That, that's he whole- did lie. There yeah. were no changes made to that offense the first well, that, that's, month of the season. And that's my whole year. problem with him being at Baylor is that if, if, if he could have had an offense, if he could have had a quarterback, he'd still be the coach at LSU. He probably would have beaten sure. Alabama a couple of times yeah. and, and won a couple more yeah. national championships if he just had you a know, quarterback. Kevin, it's, it's hard to find the total package. you know. But I think that in the case of Baylor, their biggest issue is what Evan is saying. Yeah. It's a cultural issue. That has got to be changed, and I think the hiring of Les immediately puts a smile on everybody's face. Well, Kevin, who's He'll coaching at Baylor next year? Conference. Who's coaching at Baylor I mean, next year? I, I think that uh, well, he, all reports are that Chad Morris will be the next coach at Baylor. Now, that was before he, he got killed uh, by, by forty-four. Ne- You're going to hire a guy Navy. that just lost by forty-four. Well, they really like it. Well, could- look at this. I mean, Texas. Texas just hired a guy that just lost to Memphis. That's correct. That's true. And lost to, to Navy and lost to SMU. So, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, who would have thought that, that two schools would be fighting over that guy? But I, By the I, way, let me say this. Let me say this about Herman for just a second and the difference between Texas and LSU and, the, and the, how the cultures, you would think they'd be similar, right, Evan? But they're not. Texas had no problem bringing in Tom Herman. I mean, and scooping him up and announcing that the next day, right? I mean, right. he's our guy. Because they're hundred percent in on Tom Herman. At LSU, if they if, if they had brought Tom Herman in for a press conference, that not just their media, but their fan base would have been going, Hey, didn't he just get both I mean, didn't they just give up forty some like fifty to Memphis? But, huh? Didn't he lose to SMU and Navy? Huh? But you I mean, guys know the this question but- would have come up at LSU about what Herman didn't do. It was never going to come up about what he didn't accomplish in Texas. But I, I, I would say to both of you, and Kevin, you can address this better than I, I would say that Texas boosters at this point in time were not so much in on Tom Herman as they were in on change. No, well, they, no, well, they well, were just anti, they were anti-Charlie Strong from the get-go. And, yeah. and that's the issue. They, That's the issue. And I know a lot of Texas fans were upset with some of what, Spencer and I had to say on the air on Saturday. But I, I, I got to tell you, um, from the moment Red McCombs had to reel, reel in his statements upon the hiring of Charlie Strong, you could see that there was a cultural problem 
that he was going to have to face in the time that he was there. And there's no getting beyond that. And I know fans, they, they hate it when the media brings up race card. They'll say, oh, you're, you're, you're just one of those typical liberal guys. Check my politics, okay? I'm not a liberal. But when it comes to uh, social issues, okay, uh, and, the, and the plight of Charlie Strong as a head coach, he was passed over a couple of times at Florida when he should have been a head coach. Mm-hmm. He finally got to Louisville. And after a couple of years of struggling, he got him to 22-3 and three in his last two years there. It was good enough for Texas to hire him. But the pushback was, I mean, it was immediate from influential people with decimal points on their checks that were well up there, okay? And he never was going to get beyond that. And, and, and I think that the, the, the notion that we can just bury our heads in the sand over this is gargantuan. We, we can't. I mean, clearly there was an agenda against Charlie Strong, the likes of which we haven't seen uh, against any coach taking a job of that magnitude. And part of the problem, I think, for the players and for Charlie was that, you know, they were trying too hard for the wrong reasons, and I think anxiety took over. I think it affected Bouchelle's quarterbacking. I think it affected uh, Sterling Gilbert's play calling. Uh, from about midway through the second quarter on, they were trying so hard not to lose that they they stopped playing to win. And that was part of it. Charlie hated the fact that he was failing. And this was from the top, okay? Charlie hated the fact that he was failing, not because his career was, was, was going in the wrong direction, but because African-American head coaches in college sports had never gotten an opportunity as big as his. And for him not to be successful there meant opportunities for others of color, in his mind, would not get greater opportunities in the future. Kevin, so it, 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 know, I think the burden of all of that was a real problem for him and ultimately became a real problem for his team. Kevin, what are your thoughts? I, I, my, my take on Charlie was that before he got the job, I talked to a coach who knew Charlie and, uh, and who knew David Shaw. Uh, and when he talked about the, the, the prospects of bringing in a black coach, the first black head football coach in, in Texas history. And uh, and what this guy told me was that you can take David Shaw into River Oaks Country Club and everything will go just fine. He'll, he'll deal with these people and uh, uh, and he, he'll, he'll wow them, you know, because he's a great communicator and he's a really a smart guy. He says, he said you can't take Charlie into River Oaks Country Club. Now, what he didn't mean was that because he's black, he, what he meant was because – He's not going to handle himself the same way. And so that was, a, that was a point for me to consider in all of this is how, what's, because he's succeeding Mac Brown. There was no better CEO in the country than Mac Brown. No, no one talks better to a, a small group, a big group, one-on-one than Mac Brown does. Right. So that was going to be difficult. What I, but what I found in the course of, of Charlie's tenure at Texas, and it was too brief in three years, uh, but what I found was that, you know, I think he did better than than what a lot of people thought he was going to do from that standpoint, from the communica- communications, because he did talk and but, he and he did and there were people who liked him and that administration liked Charlie. You know, they did. Greg Fendus likes Charlie. Uh, Mike Perrin likes Charlie. When I was I was down there after they beat Baylor and I'm talking to Mike Perrin after the game and he didn't like talking to anybody, but he was so excited for Charlie that Charlie had won that game. He was he could right. not have been more pumped about that. Now there were what what uh, what Tim's talking about are the boosters, and there are there's no question yeah. there was there were boosters yeah. out there who felt like 
this is going on. When, when, when Texas lost to Kansas, of course, that's the first time since 1938 and all that. Of course, here's the thing. They didn't exactly play Kansas a lot right. <laughs> before the Big 12 day, so that right. kind of skews that number a little bit. But the issue for me was not that they lost to Kansas. I think what killed Charlie's chances in the end was when Houston beat Louisville. And I think those Houston boosters in particular, they're the ones that carry most of the water now at Texas of the Houston boosters, is that, my gosh, this guy just beat Louisville. And there was no way that anybody thought Houston was going to beat Louisville at that point. And uh, not only did they beat them, they, but they just blew them out in a way where you had Bobby Petrino saying after the game, we beat, they beat us on offense, they beat us on defense, they beat us on special teams. Yeah, Bobby Petrino lies with everything he says. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> but, they, but then you had Jesse Palmer saying Houston could not play any better. And so, yeah. to me, how often could you say that about Texas teams under Charlie Strong, that they played three phases of the game so well and that they could not have played any better? You couldn't say yeah, that about yeah. them. So, at, 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 the well, end of, at the end of the day, Texas, Texas is hiring – Tom Herman. Yes. Based on the fact that he beat Louisville? No, no, no. That's not, they already liked him. I'm just saying that that was the kicker in the end, is that, that we cannot let this guy get away. They think, I think they think, you know, not from a personality standpoint, because he's nothing like Daryl Royal. I think they think, that, though, that this is our Daryl Royal. Daryl had only yeah. been a head coach for three years when he came to Texas, and uh, he was young. He was on the cusp of something great there, and I think they see that. And I, and I, and Nothing I have like say, setting expectations high. Well, absolutely. But, you know, here's the thing. Now, it, it's a very brief resume, and, and, of course, that's the thing, too. His record is almost identical to what Charlie's was when Charlie came from Louisville, right? Right. His head coaching record. Like they, Charlie was 22-3, and three and, and he was 22-4. and four. So I, it's very similar. I will say this, though. I, what we've seen with, uh, from uh, uh, Tom Herman is, is a guy who, whose teams are awfully well-prepared for these big games. You know, they have, they've come into all those big games, and they have just wowed people. You know, in, in, the, in the Peach Bowl, beating Florida State, you know, beating uh, Oklahoma, you know. Oh, he had a lot Florida of big Bowl. wins. He, he had, had a lot of big wins. A lot of big yeah. wins. And so I think yeah. that they, they – I think you, you can't look back. There were too many games. Well, I mean, there, there were just too many special teams disasters for Texas. Right. right. You know, well, let me, you just let can't me, have let all me that. just be – let me be devil's advocate for just a second. Go ahead. Okay? My biggest problem, and we opened the show with this on Friday. We, I, I just said the headline is this. You've got players, and I, we met with and talked with uh, Malik Jefferson uh, and Deontay Foreman. Uh, and by the way, I think a lot of that talent's going to leave with Charlie. Yeah. I, I would not be shocked at all if about half of those great freshmen and sophomores leave. Wherever he goes, they're going to go. I think that's, that's up for discussion. Um, but we talked to them, and Malik did not play in the game because of concussion symptoms at Kansas, but he was there. He watched his teammates during pregame meal get their ESPN Google alerts on the tweets that came from Brett McMurphy that were the foundation of boosters that were indicating to him that under it wouldn't matter what happened in the Kansas game, that Charlie was gone. Now, these are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids that are all in love. You know, I don't need to tell you how, how loyal the players were to Charlie. I, don't, I think you saw that on the Monday right. press conference after the Kansas game. Imagine getting that information. And again, Brett has every right to do it. I'm not being critical of Brett. There's not a better 
uh, insider in, in, in the business of college football right now than McMurphy and, and Chris Lowe to boot. So I, I'm, I'm not being critical of them. But the mere fact that a, a person of influence within the Texas hierarchy of their boosters uh, and their alumni base is willing to be that that vile to to get that out at a at a well timed spot so that it can have an impact on the game. That that is as bad as it gets. In what part of that picture does any Texas fan like? I don't care who your head coach is. Now, and if you don't think that news in the modern day internet athletes world doesn't play a role, I submit for your approval, no matter how good Tom Herman is, he couldn't stop that train and that godforsaken interview he did with Cole Kublick, which made him look really bad, before the Memphis game, and his team went out and got beat by Memphis. Right. So I don't care if it's Charlie or Tom Herman. You can't stop the influence that others might have on your kids in today's world. In the world of social networking and media manipulation, you can't stop that. It's impossible. The job isn't what it used to be. And this is an example. I, I think, Evan, a lot of people believe at Texas there are only two ways to get it done. You either have to be a politician like Mac, a quality CEO and, and, and delegator uh, like Mac Brown, or you have to be a hard-ass like Nick Saban. You have to be one or the other to be successful. Charlie was neither. And that's where, Kevin, I think you're right. That's why he failed. He, he could not go into every room and be as comfortable as maybe Matt could be. But in the case of Nick, Nick just doesn't want to go in the room. He'll yeah. tell you, get the hell right. out of my way. I'm doing business the way I do business. Right. It's right. got to be one or the other. So which one is Tom Herman going to be? He's, he's young enough that we really don't know what his uh, tone will be or how he fits in every room. I think it's, again, it's going to be a growth process. And, and like it or not, uh, when you, there was a time at Texas where you'd say, well, we haven't seen enough body of work before we're going to hire this guy. Well, I, I think the same is true here with Tom Herman. Is my well, and one last thing I want to say about that is that, you know, and this is what I wrote uh, on Saturday for Sunday, is that uh, Texas hired the right man when they hired Charlie Strong. They just didn't hire the right coach. And, and, uh, and I, that's the, still the question for me about Tom Herman. I think they're hiring the right coach. I don't know if they're hiring the right man. And I, so that's, <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great way of looking at so it. So we'll, we'll see what happens here. Listen, yeah. it's been great having you on, Tim. You're the best. Uh, you, uh, you've just filled us in on, on uh, so much stuff. Uh, that I, I, My mind is still reeling from all the stuff that we've got, uh, <laughs> we're have got. trying to process here. It's always great to have you on. We'd love to have you back soon to talk about all this again when you can. Yeah, well, listen, after Bedlam, and, and by the way, tune in. It is a championship game. It is early on Championship Saturday at 11 a.m. on Big Fox. Uh, Spencer Tillman and Bruce Felmo will be with me. Uh, I, I fully believe that if enough dominoes fall, that game could determine the fate of one of those teams and possibly uh, cracking the and, and being a party crasher for the for the Final Four. But but prior to the the championship games that are going to be played, the semifinals, let's do it again. Absolutely, come back. absolutely. Thanks, Tim. Okay. We'll see you. you. Bet. Nice talking to you. Great. All right, so there goes Tim Brando. That was 45 minutes of no opinions whatsoever. Almost 50 minutes. Um, wow. You think those LSU people are going to be happy about hearing all that? He, I don't think he's worried about going to any uh, LSU booster dinners. Uh, it was a great conversation. and I mean, we could probably talk for 90 minutes on college football today and, yeah. and, and not, not really get to the bottom of everything. 
So you're on board with the Tom Herman hiring? I am on board with it. I, I think that uh, he's the right hire from a coaching standpoint. I don't have any question that he will – you know, Charlie said this team will win 10 games next year no matter who the coach is. I certainly think there's a big potential for them to win 10 games, and not just because Charlie has the foundation in place. That You know, 18 of the 22 starters on, in their last game were freshmen or sophomores. So he's got that going for him. Secondly, but a bunch of those could leave. Well, they could. They could. I, I disagree with Tim when he says that Charlie's going to get a head coaching job. He's not getting a head coaching job. He won't. I, 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 I can almost guarantee that. Now, if he wants to go to a place like Central Florida or something like that or South Florida, if a job like that comes open, maybe. But, but not at a not at a place like Florida. Not no, he's not getting that. Not with that record. No one's going to hire him for that. I, and I love Charlie. I think. What about think Houston? Great, he mentioned Houston. I, I just don't see. I just don't see them doing that. I, I think that Major Applewhite's going to get that job in Houston because uh, he's. I can't see Major going to Texas with Charlie because of the lawsuit and the and the things that happened there while Major was there. So I think that he's probably going to. If Houston's smart, I think they hire Major. Why wouldn't you just want to carry on what Tom Herman was doing right. and try to get some stability here? and Major's going to end up being there for a little while. And you've got Chad Morris at Baylor. Yeah, I think Chad Morris is going to get that job. And you're on board with Kingsbury staying at Tech. Well, they just they can't pay him off. They 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 gave him a ten year extension a couple of years ago. I mean, he's he's they can't pay that off. So what uh, about Charlie at SMU? You know, uh, listen, I, I like I said. I love Charlie. You know, I wrote this about Charlie, or I said it, and I can't remember what it was. And I had someone. I said to someone that because of Charlie's stance on on domestic violence and, and, and the uh, you know spousal, all that, all those things, and they said uh, someone was very dismissive of that, and they said, "Aren't all coaches against that?" And you know, I would say ninety nine percent of us are against it, right? You know, but there are very few people, very few coaches who make it a point right. that we're against it. Not just you don't give it lip service. Not not make it a point that they're against it. Make it a point of trying to educate and, yes. and improve their players. Yes, and that, and that's what Charlie. Not did. just give it lip service. And that's what Charlie. You know, and, and of course, here's the thing, and and I know this makes it because Charlie is everything you'd want in a head coach, short of the winning, right? He, he's he's such a great guy with his with his team and with his players, and you got those players coming forward, and they were truly crushed. You when Mac Brown was fired. You didn't see that kind of reaction from the players, right? You know they were nah, they didn't want to see him go. But well, you know. but Mac was a CEO at that point. He was, I mean, and he was. I, I'm a guessing he was more distant from all the players who weren't basically named he's Colt typical, McCoy. He's a typical head coach, you know. Yeah. If, um, and here's the thing about Mac Brown that he would do is it was told to me one time. He never closes his door to his office, right? And the players just came through there all the time, right? That didn't happen with Mac Brown, right? So it didn't it didn't happen with most head coaches, right? And so th that's what they had, and that, that was like he was like a second father to these people. I I hope that Charlie uh, Charlie Strong ends up as a head coach again because of what he means to young men. But but the, the bottom line is that you still got to win. Here here is my issue. Yeah, you got to win, okay? But if you're bringing, there's a process to all of this, and if the process is this guy is going to come in and build men and then win. Okay. He wasn't given that chance to build the men and then turn them into winners. In college football, and, and I know I'm just speaking what's, what's obvious, it is win, and then we'll worry about whether or not you turn them into, into quality people. Well, here, here's the problem, Evan, is that I was on board with you when they said that. I, I thought early in the season and, and, in, and midway through the season that – Look, he's only been here for three years. You got to give him four years, right? You you have to. Well, but then and 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 what he and, and what Tim said is right. 
people are reading on social media that this is going to happen, right. all this is going to happen, and so then they're just crushed. But when you when you go out though in that last game and say we're winning this one for coach to, to win this game for him, not, didn't happen. Right. And I think here's what I when you watch Texas play, and I've talked to coaches other coaches about this as well. When you watch Texas play this year, they're just disorganized. Right. They, they they don't know what they're doing out there, and I have to believe that that's not being communicated in practice. When you have kicks being blocked on special teams repeatedly when you have failures on special teams repeatedly special teams to me is all are all about coaching offense and defense are about coaching as well but that's where all your talent is you don't have as much talent on special teams because those are the guys who are the second and third stringers mostly playing on on special teams so it's about coaching and when you're not coaching them up on special teams I, I don't know if that's so much Charlie's fault. That's probably his assistant. Jeff Trader is the is a special teams coach. The reason they got him was because of his recruiting. He was a high school coach. I think you know we, you would ask Charlie these questions about personnel, about staff, and he he just didn't give you the right answers. It was it was like well what you you heard from going when he came here he didn't want Sean Watson as his offensive coordinator. He tried to get a couple of guys. Steve Patterson wouldn't play pay the money for him. One of those guys was Tom Herman. He was right. trying to get. Uh, Steve Patterson wouldn't pay the money for him. He couldn't get him. At some point, Charlie had to assert himself and say, I got to have this guy, right? I, I can't imagine Steve – I can't imagine Tom Herman going in and saying, I want to hire this guy as my offensive coordinator. And they say no. And then he says, okay. I think Tom Herman's going to assert himself. You know, he's going to say this I is think Tom, to I, But I think Tom Herman's got the ability now to go into an athletic director's office with the full backing of – the boosters and the fan base. I don't know that Charlie ever had that from the start. Well, he didn't. I don't know that he had it. Listen, they hired him. I don't know that he ever had it at any point in time. Well, there were there was a lot of people. As I said, look, Steve Patterson was a very odd duck, and that's why he's no longer the athletic director at Texas. You right. know, he did a lot of weird things, and and, he, and Charlie wasn't his first choice. Right. You know, he had several other guys he wanted to hire instead. Um, so, I. I, I I disagree from the standpoint that he did have the backing of the president and the AD. When 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 Texas took all the flack this year, he did. Well, yeah. Well, and last year too, he had Mike Perrin last year. So you know these two years, and what happened? They didn't win any games. They didn't so I, I think to me, in the end, it was a shame that it had to end like this. But I didn't have a I didn't have a problem with him firing him. I, I think he needed to go, and especially when you look at I I do now. Listen, if Tom Herman doesn't win next year. Because here's the thing, if you don't win next year, and I don't care if you are the first-year coach, you got a starting quarterback coming back, you got you got 18 of 22 starters coming back if they don't transfer, and I think most of them will come back. Baylor's down, TCU's down, Tech's terrible, uh, Oklahoma will be losing most of their offensive firepower. Uh, you, you know, Oklahoma State I, may, may be a pretty good team next year, but, of course, the rest of the old Big 8, right. they stink. So uh, this if you don't win this year, and, and plus A&M's down. Listen, if you don't have a big recruiting year, and if you don't come in next year, and if you don't win ten games, well, then shame on you. It, so we've only we might as well round this out to a full hour. Yeah, We're only at fifty-seven what minutes. What happens if Kevin Sumlin goes eight and five, loses his bowl game? I mean, this year, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of lot of heat, but the problem is, is that he's got a full buyout in his package. In other words, he's got three years left on the deal, right. five million a year. That's a fifteen million dollar buyout. Right. The Aggies have not been extremely uh, generous in those kind of issues. Uh, are you saying fact. Aggies are tight? No, no. They're just very frugal. 
and I and I think that they there's not enough people against him. I don't think. Now listen, I know that there were there was a, a former administration. They kind of wanted him to be pushed out. That didn't happen. Uh, we don't really know what uh, Scott Woodward, the 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 AD now. We don't really know what he thinks. He's a very reclusive guy. It's hard to get around to talk to. So uh, I, I know that the people are unhappy. I, I've been told that by the, the boosters are not happy. They they don't like someone personally. See, that's the difference between Charlie and case Kevin. And Charlie's case is that the administration loved Charlie, loved him. They wanted him. They to wanted succeed. to see him succeed. I think if he had beaten TCU and beaten them badly, there's a potential that he might have kept his job. Right. Uh, but they couldn't do it after that. Right. And then, but but as far as Kevin, now the administration does not have that love for him. Uh, he's perceived as a little bit aloof, a, a kind of guy who's always working to get more money. A kind of he's he's looking for an NFL job is what he wants. Right. He wants to go to the NFL. He doesn't want another college job. Well, he's not going to get an NFL he, job coming off of this year. Is he's he? not getting an NFL. No. And that, the NFL is very reluctant to hire college coaches in the first place, much less one who Correct. just went in eight games. So why would we want you? Why wouldn't we go get you know? Right. Uh, you know. Uh, I don't know, uh, Chris a, a Peterson. coordinator somewhere. Yeah, or, yeah. or get Chris Peterson, you know, somebody like that. So, or, or you know, or David Shaw, who I brought up at Stanford. He's right. not having a great year this year, but he's had a very good record before this. So, um, I think he. This is this is Kevin's last straw, though. This he'll he'll be back next year. Uh, but if he goes, if it's a and and look, here's the thing. It's not going to be pretty next year because he's losing a lot of players. He's going to lose Miles Garrett. Well, but oh, don't you face the same situation potentially with Kevin Sumlin next year that LSU faced with not not played out as publicly as it did last year with uh, with Les Miles, where you had the halftime epiphany and everything. But don't you face going into a season with a fully divided? booster and, and and fan base i'm not sure how divided they are they're quiet now you know because they're very you know uh you know i've written stuff before written about the, i i wrote that this is what was going to happen to to a and if they go to the to to the sec and boy i got i got buried i got i got the president mentioning my, my stuff in a book he wrote about that and talking about it and, and of course what skewed all that was johnny manziel johnny manziel won 10 games for him that first year that that was that was set big. the bar high. Set the bar very high. But I still I, I, listen. I think that, that if A and M going to the SEC, I, I think initially I was I was kind of ambivalent against it because I ambivalent, thought that you mean. ambivalent is what I said. I think ambivalent is what you said. But I don't think the idea of eight and fours and nine and threes. I. I I don't see them as such second division finishes, given the fact that you have the most dominant dynastic program in your division with an all-time head coach. But they but they finished in the bottom half of that division. Right. And that, that's the problem. And, right. and this is the thing to me that all those all those A&M fans were, uh, at that time were saying you we're, go, we're, you go 11 and 1 and finish second in the SEC West, ain't nobody upset. No. But if that was the thing. Everybody said, "Oh no, we're in the SEC. We're in the SEC. We're in the SEC." Right. Well, in the end, who really cares about what conference you're in? We want to win it. Right. You know, we want to be we want to be big-time contenders. We want to be playing in big bowl games. And that hasn't happened. In the end, eight and four in the SEC isn't going to do you all that much better than eight and four in the Big Twelve. And I will say this: if they had stayed in the Big Twelve, I think they would have played for a national championship. With Johnny Manziel, they would have played for a national championship. Well, that that's all one water under the bridge. This has been the all-time. It is sixty-one longest minutes. ballsy podcast, and you know there was not there was not a single what or no from Barry. <laughs> No! I did a berry. Yes. 
Um, well, Mr. It, Bill. It's, it's been a pleasure being with you guys. It was a pleasure having Tim Brando. Pleasure having Del Harris. And it was great talking Cowboys with David Moore. It's been another great week here at the Ballsy offices. Yes, it has. And we'll see you all soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to our College Ballsy podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.